Now this morning I'm going to try to help you because I left you kind of bloody last week and kind of like, wow, or I didn't realize this. And I'm going to help you from the scripture on how to communicate the right priorities in the home as far as structure or how to communicate the organizational structure in your home. Let's first read a couple of verses of Scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and look at this with me in verse 1. He says, Be ye followers of me. These people that run around say, Well, I don't follow no man. I just follow God. You're not following God. It's right here in your Bible. He just told you. It's an apostle, a pastor. He says, be a followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That's the kicker. Make sure that your pastor's following Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. He's going to talk about water baptism and the Lord's Supper. But here's the verse I want, verse 3. But I would have you know, this is something he wants you to know. He's going to communicate the organizational structure in our homes. And of course, I'm addressing Christian homes. People that are saved and born again, who's supposed to look and be different than the world. Because I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Men, you are to be in submission to Christ. And you don't need to complain that your wives are not in submission to you if you're not in submission to Christ. This is the organizational structure in your home. He says, for Christ is the head of every man. And he says, and the head of the woman is the man. It's not going to go over with the woke crowd. I'm not politically correct today. And the head of Christ is God. This is the organizational structure in our homes. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And remember, when I begin to talk about and preach on the structures and, and, the, and the home, we use this verse that we're turning to now in Matthew 7 as the text because Christ is talking about how we build our house. Remember, this is the parable you have a wise man and a foolish man. And Christ says in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. The Bible commands us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. You can hear it all day long, but until you apply it, it's not going to help you. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, he's talking about your home where you live. Watch this. And the rain descending, he says, here's something you need to know. There are storms coming in your life, rain. And the floods came. That's when the problems in life begin to overwhelm you. They don't come one at a time. I mean, it's okay to walk to the car in a drizzle, right? You know, you just run out there. You can handle little raindrops. What happens when the floods come? That's when the problems in life begin to overwhelm. Flood, they they just come flooding in, overwhelm you. And the winds blow and beat upon the house. Oh boy. And it fell not. 
for it was founded upon a rock. He says, you want to make it through that? You're going to have to make sure your home was built upon the rock. Now watch this. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. So both of them heard it. Only one applied. The other didn't. Says, I'll hear it again another day. It's just a preacher. He's just blowing hot air. He shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Sand is shifting. It changes with time. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. Lord, help us today as we look to the Word of God to see how we can communicate the organizational structure in our homes. There should be the right order in our homes. Help us to get this knowledge, not just to be a hearer, but to be a doer. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. What I'm saying is somebody has to be in charge. Remember the Tower of Babel? The Tower of Babel, it teaches us that when communication breaks down, there is confusion and the work ceases, does it not? I mean, when you cannot communicate with one another, and they were building this tower to God, and they weren't doing what God had told them to do. And they said, we're going to build this tower. We're going to build it right up into heavens. And the thinking on that is they wanted to build it higher up into the heavens so if there was another flood, they could get into this tower and live. And so God says, look, I'm going to have to go down there and I'm going to have to get involved in this thing because if I don't stop it, nothing will be withheld from them. So there is also an implication that there was an angelic fallen angel knowledge going on there too. Now, we're not going to preach and teach on that, but something caught God's attention because you and I both know that you can't build a building so high that it could go to the third heaven. So there was something going on there. But we do learn that when God confounded, it was the first gift of tongues in the Bible. And it wasn't to edify the brethren. It never was. It brought confusion. Everybody spoke a different language. I mean, if you're going to study on tongues, you might as well get the first mention of it. It was never for those that believed. It was for those that didn't believe that Gentiles could be saved. Book of Acts. Simple. But we understand that when you can't communicate, that it brings confusion. The Bible says God's not the author of confusion. And then the work ceases. Now in your homes, when communications break down, you're going to have a problem. So the Bible is clear that Christ is the head of in the home. And biblically speaking, Christ is the head of the church. There is an organizational structure in this church. You got the pastor. Uh, you have a trustee. Uh, you, but God is my head. I'm answerable to God. That's why I'm preaching out of God's handbook. I've got God's a rule book. I'm preaching a message right from the very words of God. And you can check me out by following along too because I'm obligated to be in submission to Christ who is the head. That's how it's, how it's supposed to work. It's not a free-for-all. So the man, the husband is being subjection to Christ. Christ is his head. And of course, the woman, the wife-to-be, 
in submission to her head, which is the husband. This is called structure. If there's no order in the home, then there's no structure. Somebody here has to be in charge. There's no successful business anywhere that does not have structure. I mean, you just can't have everybody doing their own thing. There has to be organization. I, mean, I owned a business for a number of years. Someone has to be in charge. Just has to. I know people, there's a big, big push that nobody's in charge and everybody's in charge. You know, it's the way of no way. And these philosophies, they never pan out. Someone has to be in charge. And so... Nothing in this life works without structure, communication, and order. So, preacher, how do I communicate the right priorities in my home? How do I get this thing right? Number one, I want you to write this down. The first statement, truth statement we're going to talk about is you should communicate to your spouse that God is more important than they are. Oh boy, it got quiet. I pulled that one on Jen this morning. I wanted to see how she'd react. And she says, yeah, there's no problems. I do love God more than you. But I find that the more I love God and the closer I am to God, the more I can love you. <laughs> Hush. <laughs> I've been struggling with that one. <laughs> no, it's Bible. You need to communicate to your spouse. I don't mean men, don't go home today and sit your wife down and say, I want you to know that I love God more than you. I got news for you. That ain't going to go over too well. Okay. Now, Jen, she's used to me. She rolls with the punches. I thought I could get a little fight out of her this morning and it, it just she just rolled with that thing. Yeah, I've been on to that years, you know. Where you been? Okay. Christ is the head. Now be thinking, what is the first and great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, and thy soul. You know, I've never really had to think about this truth statement until last year. I've, I've never had to contemplate uh, dealing with people in marriages. How is that order? Because in my home that I grew up in, the, my parents both loved God more than they loved each other. Uh, it was never really talked about. You just knew about it. I've never thought about it. But let's see this demonstrated when it doesn't go that way in a home. Take your Bible to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, and I'll try to move quickly because I have five statements to give you. And Genesis chapter 16, we see this is about Abraham and Sarah. And in chapter 15, God had, had, had met with Abraham, and, and, and Abraham's old now, and God had promised him a son. And, and, and Abraham says, Lord, you know, I'm past the childbearing years, you know. Uh, uh, and, he, and he says, maybe Eliezer, uh, my servant, he was born in my house. Maybe we can make him this promise. And the Lord says, no, you're going to have a child with Sarah. And so Sarah, 
Abram's wife, in verse 1 in chapter 16, bare him no children. They got tired of waiting. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And we all know what happened. This maid conceived and bare Ishmael. And we're still dealing with that problem today. That's what the nation of Israel is dealing with. Uh, the Palestinians are nothing more than Arabs. They're Ishmaelites. That's what's going on. And this thing was a great problem in the Bible, and we're still dealing with it. I got news for you. Abraham listened to his wife's voice above God's voice. And so now Sarah is in charge and not God. And this is why in our homes we must be able to establish with our spouse, I love you, I love you very much, and I have promised to forsake all others and to love you, but I love God more. Why? Because, and I was thinking about this last night on the way home, I, I, I think about this less and less. And remember when we were younger and we wanted to work out because we wanted to stay in shape and we were really one sandwich away from fat, but boy, we were just fighting the good fight. And we learned that you had to have an accountability partner. You had a workout partner because there was days when you didn't feel like working out or eating right and your partner was having a good day. said, no, we can do this. Let's do this. And so they helped you. They encouraged you to keep working out. And that's what your spouse is to do. But both of you are to love God more. Your wife, wives, you can look at your husband and say, I love you. But I love God more. Here's why. In case there's ever a time when the husband or the wife says, I think I want to go over here and do this sin and stray off the path, you're not obligated to follow that because you love God more. That's Abraham's problem here. He listened to Sarah and elevated Sarah's voice because he's trying to please her. And we are to please our wives. Wives, we're to, we're to love our wives as our own flesh, but we're to love God more. Let me give you a couple of points here. One, Christ is more important. Now, you married folks, you need to get this because I hear this a lot in counseling. Well, he's just not meeting all my needs. Let me help you with that, okay? You need to view your marriage as God's setting for spiritual growth. You're to help each other grow spiritually closer to God. Number two, now this is the point I want you to get. God did not create any one person to meet all of your needs. There is no human being anywhere that is going to meet all of your emotional needs. Your spouse is not going to meet all of your needs. That's a truth statement. You need to understand that and how God has set this thing up. God is our ultimate need meter. Even your pastor, I can't meet all of your needs. 
You cannot rely on me. God has given me to you as a gift according to Ephesians to help bring you into Christian maturity. But you love God more. Here's why. We were talking about the Sunday school class. What happens if I flip one day and I come in and say, I think we're going to start using the ESV. Every man in here should be able to take me to the back when the service is over. Say, Pastor, what's happened? Why? You love your pastor, but you're going to love God more. There's only one Bible we use here, and that's the King James Version, the 1611, because it's the pure, unadulterated, preserved, infallible Word of God. But there's a lot of churches and a lot of people that are sliding on that, and the people are sitting in the pew not saying nothing about it. Why? Because they're listening to a voice and have elevated it above God. You love God more. And in your home, you need to communicate to your spouse that you love God more. We're to please our spouse, but not at the expense of pleasing God. Remember, to build the house on the rock, God is the chief cornerstone. Remember me preaching that message on the four elements you got to have for survival and water. If you're in the middle of nowhere, you need water. Water is the most important thing. You can only live 72 hours without water. You can live, they tell me, 30 days without food. I don't believe that, but that's what, that's what the experts tell us. I'd like to see them try. Did they try that? Did they demonstrate that? Has that been demonstrated, observed, <laughs> and explained? Nah. Now, they've not been on a three-week fast. I have. <laughs> there is literally something inside of you that will begin to talk to you and convince you that you're going to die <laughs> if you don't get food. <laughs> but the most important thing is water. You know, this Bible says that Christ is the water of life. Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the directional stone, and the, the cornerstone of a house sets the direction and the doctrine. It orients it, how it's going to set on the property. Now, when Abraham, he chose to put his wife's voice over God's voice, God was clear. And then Sarah has now become the head of the home. And then when it didn't work out, I really believe that Sarah thought that the problem was with Abraham and was, was willing to commit sin. I mean, this, this is not right. God set it up one man, one woman. The, one of the biggest problems in the Bible since the beginning of time has been polygamy. A lot of these men had more than one wife. God didn't set it up that way. And so Sarah said, you know, I, I'm not having a child. God promised a child, and I think I need to get involved. And they, get, they, they got like us. It's not happening as quickly as I was thinking, God, so maybe I need to help you out. And so Abraham, wanting to please his wife, Abraham, wanting to prove that the problem was Abraham and not her, they fell into this thing. And all of a sudden, Hagar's pregnant with Ishmael. And Sarah gets upset and says, My wrong be upon thee. I think Sarah knew something there. She put all the blame on him. You shouldn't have let me done that. So if we're going to set and have the right organizational structures in our home, God 
has to be first. And you need to communicate to your spouse, I love you very much. I love you like I love my own flesh, but I love God more. Number two, you need to communicate to your spouse. Now this is going to begin to hit us where we're at. You need to communicate to your spouse that they are more important than the children. Now that's hard for women to take. And I've learned in these 12 years it's hard for southern women to take. Southern women replace their husbands with their children. And the husband turns into the dirty dog that they don't have anything more to do with. And they dote and they worship their children. I'm not lying, am I? No, you all know. You all that's been with me these 12 years, uh, that's why I really, really hesitate to ever call a child down in the service. Number one, it quenches the spirit. Number two, I have to deal with the angry parents and grandparents when the service is over. After When you go home or go out to eat and you're enjoying it, like, boy, I'm just glad that pastor took a stand. I was tired of putting up with that myself. Why don't you get up and, and put a stop to it? And then you can go to the meeting, and I'll go to the restaurant and enjoy my lunch. <laughs> Some of y'all can laugh because you know that's literally happened. You want to get a grandma or a mom mad, call down her kids in church. And they could be running around looking for the Wi-Fi passwords. They could be doing whatever. But don't you dare say nothing about my kids, and I'll probably be the same way with Doodlebug. You should be walking around. I don't think I will. There is a possibility you might have to remind me of this. So you need to communicate to your spouse that they are more important than the children. Take your Bible to Genesis 27. Genesis 27. Genesis 27, verse 1. Now this is the story about Isaac and Rebekah. And this is the portion of Scripture where Isaac thinks he's dying. And he tells Esau, who was his favorite, and boy, we could really get into this. You don't need to have favorites, even though it's hard not to. And I've, I've worried about that. Will I, will I love this next grandchild and be as attached to him or her as I am Doodlebug? I, I pray that I am. And maybe some of you that's got multiple grandchildren can help me with that. It's, that's new territory for me. Okay, and then they tell me that great-grandchildren are even sweeter than grandchildren. I, I don't know nothing about that either, but they tell me that. Then I met a grandmother the other day in the store. She was doting over Doodlebug, and uh, she says, yeah, my, my grandchildren are here. I'm like, where are they at? Oh, they're in Michigan somewhere. It doesn't matter. Oh, it matters to me. Oh, my soul, I pray, Lord, please don't move me on. And then I have to leave my doodle bug behind, you know. I really, and you'll notice there's not a point on communicating to your grandchildren that you love God more than them. I'm sure we could find one somewhere. I had to think about that. Shouldn't have. We're humans, are we not? We're more idolatrous than we realize. You see, idolatry is the extreme adoration for an object and that is supposed to be given to God. God is to have preeminence. And sometimes we replace God with something we deem we adore more. And so Rebekah uh, hears what Isaac is saying to Esau. Now Rebekah had a favorite, which was Jacob. 
And so what did she do? She come to Jacob and said, My son, hearken to my voice and go out there and get two goats, two kids. I'll fix them the way I know your father likes them. See, the way to Isaac was through his stomach. And I'm a lot like Isaac. I love a good barbecue. And so, you know, uh, Jen knows that. She plays with me all the time. If she wants something, I'm going to get something good to sweet to eat or I'm going to get a good barbecue. Something's going down that way. And you can see that happens quite a lot. I'm just now figuring that out. But Isaac was like that. And Jacob says, no, he's, he can tell the difference between venison and goat. And Mama said, no, not the way I'm going to cook it. He can't tell. He's blind anyway. He won't tell. And then, you know the story. He said, well, he's hairy, and I'm not. I'll give you the clothes, and we'll put the skins of these goats on you. And the point is, sometimes children are the glue that holds a marriage together. Parents are having trouble. They have some children, and all of a sudden, the children are the glue that hold the marriage together. But sometimes children are the source of friction in the home. Because there's different opinions on how to discipline. There's different opinion on the child's life in the home. And then, again, I'll repeat it because it needs to be repeated here. Mothers sometimes replace the husband with the children. And so, ladies, mothers, wives, you need to communicate to your husband that they are more important than the children. And here's the point. Rebecca would rather defraud her husband than deny her son. That's an idolatry problem. That is a mother that is in love with her children and not in love with God as much or not in love with her husband. And, and you can see this because once the children are raised and they leave home, you've heard of these people, they've been married 40 years, the children are all raised and all of a sudden they're divorced. Why? Because the children were the glue that held that marriage together. They, they were using the children as a buffer. And when you do not have the right order of priority in your home, that's what's going to happen. I've been thankful that Jen and I, uh, we were always more important to each other than the children. Not that we didn't take care of our children. But our children knew their place in the home. Jen, even when we had babies and we went to a church function, or what, Jen made my plate and then went and got the children. And boy, that's got us a lot of fire from people down through the years. Why would you do that? He's just the old man. He can get his own plate. No, you don't want to see me get my own plate. She says, no, he, he's still my love. We, we still have our relationship. The children, the children can wait. And now I... I, I I make my own plate now because I found that my plate, I can put more on it than she does. <laughs> so it's all about the sensation of food. But wives and husbands, I've seen this go the other way. You do not defraud your spouse because you don't want to deny your children. So communicate to your children and to your spouse. You love your spouse more and the children. I love you. I love you very much. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to train you. But I love your spouse. I love your mother. Or I love your father more. 
that's going to help you make it into the 30-year mark in a marriage, 40-year mark in a marriage, because when you're empty nesters and that's where it's headed, you're still in love with each other more so because you didn't love the children more. Third statement. Communicate to your spouse that they are more important than the extended family. Mm. Yeah, if I can tell you one advice, and go to Genesis chapter 2. Mother-in-law split up more families, marriages, than anything else. Sorry. And Jen's a mother-in-law. And, and I'm a father, but I'm going to tell you, my children have to live their lives. I'm out of it. I'm there for counsel only. I don't get in between it, and I'm going to give you the Bible on that. Communicate to your spouse that they are more important than the extended family. And Genesis chapter 2, about verse 24, he says, Therefore, this is God speaking to Adam and Eve, Shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh? And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, wait a minute. Adam had no family to leave. So why did God say that right here to Adam? Well, I'll tell you why. He said it for us. The things that were written aforetime are written for our learning. Where this verse breaks down three ways. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. It applies to the ladies too. You leave your extended family. You're not joining the families. You're starting your own family. Now watch this. And they shall cleave unto his wife. That means you're coming together and they shall be one flesh. You're going to be so close. God says you're going to be so close, the husband and the wife, that there is no room for anybody else in between you. That solved a lot of marriage problems right there. And let me tell, here, tell you why. Men. Men, your wife does not want to be compared to your mother. You want to start a fight that could last five years and you not realize it's going on until five years later it just comes out. Your wife, <laughs> and I'm better at this than I used to be. Jen, she's all the time cooking and trying things and I'm the guinea pig. And generally the first words out of my mouth, well, you know, it's pretty good, but it's not as good as what? Mom made. Men, don't do that. Your wife does not want to be compared to your mother. That you didn't marry your mother. And that's another problem in our marriages. Men get married and they think their wife should be their new mother. I like what Sister Kathy said. Holly, I, I remember things. She says, a man only wants a nurse or a purse. I wanted the nurse. A lot of truth in that statement. I hate to say that. The elders are supposed to teach the youngers. <laughs> A lot of wisdom there. Men, don't compare your wife 
to your mother. Well, my mommy used to do my laundry, or my mommy used to do this, or my mommy cooked it that way. And here's why. Because when you do that, you're asking your wife to abandon her identity and to adopt your mother. It's wrong. Now let's turn it around. Women, wives, your husband does not want to be compared to your father. Well, my daddy used to... It, it, <laughs> you're asking him... You're, and to a man, this was worse for a man... Let me tell you what hurts a man is when he feels like he's been disrespected. You get into the psychology behind these church shootings and, and this violence, it'll always boil down to, from the last stuff I read, is that individual felt disrespected by that group of people, by the pastor, by somebody in there, and that let a men, they never want to be disrespected. And if they feel like they've been disrespected, mm, things can go sideways. Be careful. And wives, do not disrespect your, your, your husband and don't compare your husband to your father. Nobody's going to fill that role. And you're asking him to abandon his identity to adopt who your father was. It's not going to work. God made each person very uh, unique and individually. And you cannot have them uh, abandon their identity. And by the way, maybe I need to get on this, because anytime I preach on this, some of you men, not the ones that are in here this morning, go home, tell your wife, see, right there, you got to do all the dishes, all this, all that. I can sit and do nothing. Let me throw this in here, men, while I'm on it. If you're demanding your wife pull 50% of your financial burden, because you're supposed to be the breadwinner, then you need to be pulling 50% of her load also in the home. There is nothing wrong with sharing responsibility. How God's got it set up in the Bible, God first, husband and wife together. Think about when the Bible is written. They didn't have Ford 8-in tractors and a plow that went behind it. They had oxen and horses and they had a yoke. And they pulled together. That is the picture of a husband and a wife. You say, but, but i got to be in submission to my husband. That just means he takes the first step. You ever watched someone work with a, with a plow in a horse team? They, they pull together, but there is a lead horse. And he takes the first step. He kind of directs, but they pull together, do they not? That's what's supposed to be in the mind. So men don't go home and say, yeah, that's right, you got to do your stuff. But then you're expecting her to get up Monday morning to make 50% of the income and then come home and cook all the meals, do all the dishes, clean the floors, take care of all the kids, run them back and forth to the babysitter while you sit, drink a glass of iced tea, and watch whatever's on TV, namely football, because you're into sports. And you plop down, you want all the respect, and your poor little wife, you're working her to death. That'll end a marriage pretty quickly. So don't compare your spouses to an extended family member. I must move on. Communicate, number four, communicate to the children that God is more important than they are. Genesis chapter 22. 
Genesis 22, communicate to the children that God is more important than they are. This is, I preached out of this a few Wednesday nights back about you need to go get your blessing. Remember that? I used Abraham and Isaac when God told Abraham to take Isaac and put him on the altar. Remember? Offer him. Because God was testing Abraham to see if Abraham loved God more than his child. That's what was going on there. But have you ever heard anybody preach or teach or say anything about what lesson did Isaac learn out of this? Who willingly went and was offered, but God didn't let him go through with it. Isaac learned that though Abraham loved him very much, he was a child in his old age. He loved God more. And he communicated that to his son Isaac. I love you. I love you very much, but I love God more. See, children come into this life thinking they own the place, do they not? I mean, children, they should be taught that they're not in charge. They automatically think they are. If God does not rank higher, hear me now, than your children, you will make major parenting mistakes. Well, she just didn't want to go to church today. So your four-year-old or five-year-old is in charge. That's what you're telling me. That you love that child more than God. You've got some priorities wrong and you're fixing to make some major parenting mistake because that child needs to know that you love God more than the child. You love the child. Don't, don't walk out today and say, well, I think that preacher thinks we need to be mean to our children and our spouse. That's not what I'm talking. I will tell you it's the opposite is true, uh, is more true. When you're closer to God, you'll love your spouse more and you'll love your children more. Because God will rub off on you. Mm-hmm. See, our problem is when we commit idolatry by loving something more than God. And your children should learn, and you need to communicate them that you love them very much, but you love God more. You see, Isaac knew that his father loved him, but God was more important. And Abraham, get this now, was willing to displease Isaac to please God. Having your children in church is pleasing to God. Having your grandchildren in this church pleases God. And you ought to be willing to please God more and displease a little child that doesn't want to come to church because they're engrossed in a video game or some other nonsense. That's not going to amount to a hill of beans when they get into adult years. One more point. I can tell you about done. Communicate... To the children that the spouse is more important than them. Genesis 21. We're right here. 21 verse 8. Now we're going back to Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, and Ishmael. This began to be a problem. 
Look what Sarah says in verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Okay, he was bullying him. He was quite a bit older. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And this thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Abraham's having a problem. He was attached to Ishmael too. And so what does God say? What did God teach Abraham? And God said, verse 12, unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be. What's God telling Abraham? You need to communicate to that child that you love your spouse more than them. You can have a home without children, but you cannot have a home without marriage. Now, I understand the woke culture today. There, there, someone would give me a new word, a, a situational relationship. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to fancy these things up. Well, we, we're situational partners now. Well, we're not going to be married, but you know, we, we need each other. You know what? It's sin. Okay? Wrong. It's not right. Children, now you get this, and you know this if you've had children, they will seek to put a wedge between mom and dad. There was a rule in my dad's house. If you ask either one of us, and we said no, and you go to the other to ask the same question, you're in trouble. That's right. I'll say one thing for my mom and dad. They were always together. And if they knew that you had asked one man, and we knew which one to ask because which one was softer towards certain issues, and if they had said no and you go run to the other, the first question they'd ask is, did you ask your mother? Or did you ask your father? And what did they say? Mm -hmm. Well, now you know what the penalty is because you were not to ask me because your father and I are united you need to stand united in front of the children. If you have a beef with your spouse, take care of it quietly behind closed doors, not in front of the children. Now let me give you this word of wisdom that will help your marriage. And I'm on the point to communicate to the children that the spouse is more important than them. And if we would live by that rule, we'd have a whole lot less divorce. If parents would work as hard on staying together as they do on fighting for custody, we'd have stronger marriages and fewer divorces. You see, homes go off the rail when you're not built upon the solid rock. When you don't love God more, or you begin to love the children more than the spouse, that is idolatry. It is wrong. And it's not the biblical order that God has set. And if your house is going to stand the rain and the flood and the wind and the things that come along in life, 
you're going to have to have some organizational structure in your home, and it's going to have to be God's structure. That you love God more. You love God with all your heart and mind and soul. You love your spouse, but you love God more. And then you look at your spouse and say, I, and your children, and you say, I, I love you, children, but I love your mama, or I love your father more. That would help us as we train our children. I think a lot of times, and mothers, they fall into this trap. They fall in love with their children. Why? They've carried them for nine months. It's part of them. They're attached. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. Don't you, don't, don't, don't try to get in between a mother and her child or a grandchild now. That's a part of them. And don't disrespect them. <laughs> try, go out of your way not to disrespect them. Because you'll have a grizzly bear on your hand. Ain't nothing more ferocious than a mother grizzly bear on the prow. And mothers fall into that trap. They fall in love with their children. And what happens is they will not allow dad to do his job. And they, they, they begin to set that child on a, on a path in life that has all about rights and no responsibilities and all about uh, 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 pleasures with no accountabilities and, and we'll, we'll do a, a religious thing when we feel like it, but no reality. you got to have God. God's got to be first. Christ is all in all. God should be first in our life. If you'll practice these five things and begin to communicate, and I'm not saying go home today, sit everybody down and say, they can be communicated discreetly. Just practice it next Sunday. One of you is going to get up and not want to come to church. The kids are going to get up and they're going to begin to disrupt. I don't want to go to church. Hey, we love God more. You're going to church because we love God more. God is is number one because we are going to build our home on the rock so we can stand the test of time let's all stand